will never lose its power. Are you washed in the blood and the precious blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Oh, the blood of Jesus. It does wash and cleanse his blood for our blood, his life for our life. Through him we're saved and we celebrate our salvation. Genesis 37 and 3 reads, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. He made him a tunic of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Verse 18, now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit and we will say some wild beast has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. Verse 45 and verse 4, uh, chapter 45 and verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near and then he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved nor angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And for these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I'm led to go back to something I talked to you all about not more than four or five years ago. And some of you forgot it and some of you didn't pay any attention to it. And some of you have never heard it. And so I want to talk to you about emotional survival in a crazy world. Would you say that after me please? Emotional survival in a crazy world. You may be seated. read a book by Mr. John Warham. Title of the book was The Anatomy of a Great Executive. In this book, Mr. Warham discusses a study by a psychologist by the name of Dr. Leo Scroll. And Dr. Scroll reported that only 18% of people are well-adjusted and free of mental illness. Uh, look at your neighbor and tell them only 18% of people are well-adjusted and free of mental illness. 58% showed mild to moderate mental health problems. And 24% showed marked to severe mental health problems. This means that 80% of the folk have mild to severe mental health problems, 80%. Only one out of five is free of mental illness. Look at your neighbor and say, that's me. <laughs> one out of four has significant mental health problems, 25%. One out of four. Now let me see, one, two. <laughs> Anyone or any combination of the following is a sign of emotional immaturity. Excessive dependence on others, bad sign. Poor judgment, bad sign. A false sense of entitlement. 
thinking that you're entitled to stuff that you're really not entitled to. Bad sign. A tendency to create or cause situations of distress for themselves with the expectation that others are obligated to get them out of trouble when they get themselves into trouble. That's a bad sign. The tendency to see yourself as an innocent victim, it's never your fault. It's never your responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. You're just an innocent victim. Bad sign. The inability to control your emotions, such as anger, depression, and fear. The inability to resist these Negative emotions, anger, depression, fear, bad sign. Another bad sign is extreme selfishness. If you're wrapped up in yourself, you're a mighty small package. Self-admiration, self-centeredness, a bad sign. Irresponsibility is a bad sign can't be relied on to fulfill any commitment you make. Look at your name and say, bad sign. A disregard for consequences. Act first and then think about the consequences after you have acted. Bad sign. An obsession with pleasure is a bad sign. If it feels good, you're ready to do it. Bad sign. Distorted perception, a false view of reality, wistful thinking, make-believe, living in some kind of ethereal, non-existent world of make-believe. It's a bad sign. A lack of persistence, an inability to complete projects, drifting from the pursuit of one unfulfilled dream to another. This month you're in school to be a beautician. Next month you're in school to be a surgeon. The next month you're in school to be a lawyer bad sign can I talk to you all today abusive to other people physically, emotionally, verbally abusive a negative person always looking at the dark side amen everything may be going good but you'll find something to be negative about something to criticize something to complain about bad sign the inability to adjust to changing circumstances is a sign of mental immaturity and it is a bad sign dysfunctional disruptive behavior bad sign everything was peaceful till you showed up everything was quiet until you came on the scene can't get along with anybody a high level of relational problems that's a bad sign if you can't get along with anybody if nobody wants to be your friend stop talking about folk and start examining your own life can I please preach today Phobias, hallucinations, addictions, compulsions, bad sign. And after going through this list, I think that you will agree with me that emotional maturity and mental health are not all that common. Therefore, may I suggest that you not be surprised by what people do. Don't be surprised. People will do. If it can be conceived, somebody is going to do it. Don't be surprised by what people do. And don't expect too much from people. Amen. If you're living your life in expectation of people behaving as the way you hope they would behave or the way they should behave, you are in for a rude awakening. Don't expect uh, too much from people and please don't allow the behavior of people to determine what your emotional state or your behavior is going to be. Amen. May I suggest that a wonderful way to conceive the world and approach life is to see the world as a vast mental institution. 
that just imagine that the world is, I, I, I'm in a vast mental institution, but then see yourself as one of the therapists working on the staff. You're not a part of the craziness, you are on the staff. Look at your name and say, you're not a part of the craziness, you're on the staff. By this approach, you won't be surprised by what people do because after all, you expect people to do strange things in a mental institution. And if you're not expecting people to do strange things in the world, then you are in for a great surprise. You won't be surprised and then you'll take a logical, clinical approach a therapeutic approach at dealing with people. When they go off raging, screaming, crying, you won't start raging, screaming, crying. You'll just look at them and say, hmm. <laughs> look at your neighbor. Try it out. Say, hmm. <laughs> the statistics that I've mentioned indicate also that you should be very careful in the selection of your associates. Uh, look at your neighbor, please, and say, except for me. Be very careful in the selection of your associates. Mm -hmm. Be very careful. Be very careful. Uh, 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 be careful who you marry. Divorce ought not be the desired way of dealing with a bad marriage. The best way to deal with a bad marriage is not get in it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Be saved and emotionally mature yourself and then find somebody who's saved and emotionally mature and compatible. All right? Choose your wife carefully. Choose your husband carefully. If you act in rush you'll repent at leisure be careful choose your friends carefully be careful who you date be careful who you hang out with remember one out of four <laughs> and these statistics ought, ought to cause all of us to decide that I don't, I don't want to be the one <laughs> We ought to strive for consistent maturity and consistent mental health. One of my sources indicated that we consciously reason regarding our behavior and attitudes only about 20% of the time. Only about 20% of our time are we really consciously strategizing and choosing and judging and elaborating and evaluating our behavior and our words and our action. The other 80% of the time, we are uncritically operated and guided by emotions and factors that are deep within us, even coming out of our subconscious, out of our unconscious. That means that all of us would be better off if we would make more of our decisions and actions uh, exposing them to our conscious reasoning mind, uh, to the spirit of God, and if we would allow God to guide us and direct us in what we said, what we thought, uh, and what we did more of the time, rather than just 20% of the time, expanding it to possibly 100% of the time when we're thinking about what we say, praying about what we do. So emotional development is a result of a variety of factors. You didn't just get to be who you are. There were a variety of factors impinging on your life and affecting your life that caused you to be the person whom you are. Friends and classmates and teachers and many others all affect our emotional development. But the most significant role in our psychological and emotional development is played by our family. Someone has said that we become, or we are programmed by our families and we grow into the image of ourselves that we see reflected in the faces of the members of our families. We grow into the image of ourselves that, that they impose upon us and that they share with us and we lean, we lean toward becoming what they expect us to be. So our self-image is usually a result of our relationship with our parents. 
It was Josh McDowell who said that we're bound to repeat the family experiences that we remember. And he goes on to say that there are three basic emotional needs that we have and that our family should provide for us. Number one, the need to feel loved. The need to feel accepted. To have a sense of belonging. Everybody needs to feel loved. And everybody needs to feel accepted. They need, they need to have a sense of belonging. Our family should provide that for us. A sense of feeling loved. A, a sense of being accepted and a sense of belonging. And then number two, the need to feel acceptable. They're not just accepting me because they choose to and I'm not worthy of their acceptance, but uh, I, I, I need to feel that I have attributes and capacities and values within me that cause me to feel acceptable, to have a sense of worthiness that I'm worthy for people to think positively of me. And my family provides that uh, for me. And thirdly, the need to feel adequate, that I'm capable, that my family has told me I can make it, I can deal with life, I, think I can succeed, I, I can overcome. They have not told me, you no good boy, you're never going to be anything, you're never going to do nothing, because that would sink deeply into my psyche and would handicap me uh, for life. I need to feel adequate. Help me somebody. I need to have a sense that I'm competent, a sense of competence and com competence. And, and Josh McDowell says that when a father and a mother do not provide for these needs in an infant or in a child, then that child's emotional development is going to be affected. How many of you can say that you struggle with things and you're dealing with things and you are a result of things that happened in your family, in your childhood? How many of you can remember family experiences that impacted your life? Am, am I just talking off out somewhere? Or can I get some witnesses? If you can witness to what I'm saying, raise your hand in the house. Hallelujah. Well, no one will deny that the pattern of the family is being disturbed in every sector of our nation. All over the world, the pattern of healthy, whole um, families is being disrupted and devastated. And listen, we've got to get back to the pattern. The Bible is right when it emphasizes sexual involvement only within the context of marriage. I turned the corner on you if you didn't notice it. Can I say it again? The Bible is right when it advocates and condones sexual involvement only within the covenant of marriage. The Bible is right when it encourages the bearing of children within the context of a strong, loving family and a strong, happy marriage relationship. That's the best context for children to come into and the best context within which children should be born. Both parents present in the home, both parents loving one another, protecting the children, loving the children, and taking care of the children. Therefore, single young women who are sexually active expose themselves to disease. They expose themselves to the emotional trauma of possible abortions. They expose themselves to responsibility for unwanted children. They expose themselves to a decreased likelihood of marriage. Amen? Single young men who father children and walk away from those children. Men, if you've got a child anywhere on the face of the earth, you ought to be in touch and you ought to be doing the best you can to take care of that child. Mm -hmm. But if you walk away from those children and their mothers, you expose them to emotional devastation. 
And you show yourself to be less than a real man because a real Bible-believing, God-loving man marries a woman before he has children by her. He fathers children only by his wife and he stands by his wife and he stands by those children and he loves them with all of his heart and does everything he can to advance their lives and make their lives great. I wish I had some help. I'm preaching, Lord, all by myself. You told me to preach this thing today. Young people, don't sabotage your life. Don't ruin your future. Save yourself to be a part of a whole family that joins together and works together for good and for progress. Save yourself. Save your body for the one who becomes your spouse, your husband. Youth is a time for study, education. It's a wonderful time. Don't get old too soon. You'll get old soon enough. But now let God make your life significant and let God make your life a force for good and a force for progress. Well, with everything I've said in mind, we can see why the biblical character Joseph had every reason to go stark raving mad. He had every reason to have emotional problems. If anybody who ever lived should have been downright out of his mind, it should have been Joseph. First reason why he should have gone out of his mind was that his father had children by four different women. Each woman was campaigning and struggling for her own advancement and for the rights of her own children. There was jealousy, animosity, division uh, in the home. Uh, and, and, and Joseph was born into that situation where his father had four different women in his life and children by all of those women. And his own mother died very early in his life. And then his father played favorites. And this might have caused Joseph, the favorite son, to become a spoiled and an effeminate brat. And then his daddy dressed him up real funny. I said his daddy dressed him up real funny. He bought him a coat that was so messed up, the biblical writer didn't even try to describe all the colors in the coat. That's a coat of many colors, looking like some kind of rainbow. I mean, Dressed him up funny. Mm -hmm. And then his parents were extremely old when he was born. Both of them on walking canes walking down there when he was unable to protect him, unable to accommodate his youthful vitality, unable to take him fishing, hunting, and all the things that sometimes boys love to do. And then both his brothers and his parents rejected his dreams and belittled the visions that God had given to him. His brothers hated him. They physically assaulted him. The Bible says that they could not speak peaceably. They could not speak kindly toward Joseph. He never heard a kind word. He never heard a positive word from any of his brothers. It was always brat, always no good, always get out, always get away, always ugly, always worthless. Never a kind word. They could not speak peaceably unto him. They stripped him of his clothing. They intended to kill him. They threw him in a deep pit. And the only reason they took him out was for the opportunity of selling him into slavery. All of this happened before Joseph was 17 years old. Every reason to lose his mind. And then when he was sold into slavery, the wife of Potiphar, the man who bought him, tried to seduce him. And when he refused her attempt to seduce him, she tried to destroy him. She accused him of rape. And he was thrown in jail. I wish I had time to do a psychological profile of Potiphar's wife. That was a way out woman. She was sexually compulsive. 
She was driven to emotional extremes. She could love you one minute and hate you the next. Watch out for people who love you one moment like you're the greatest thing on earth and hate you the next. Speak to you one moment and won't speak to you as if you're not even there the next moment. Not only would involvement with a person like that be wrong, she was a sick person and any relationship with her would have to be a dangerous and troubled relationship. Watch out for people who get mad at you because you won't drop your agenda and get on their agenda. Drop your plans and get on their plans. You have a right to follow the agenda that God has given you for your life. I really think Potiphar kind of had an insight into his wife's temperament, personality. Amen. Because, you know, Joseph was a slave. And if Potiphar had really believed that Joseph had tried to rape his wife, Joseph would have been dead. Are you with me? But Joseph was put in prison, in, 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 the, in the, the prison for royalty, the same prison that the king's butler and the king's baker were put in. Uh-huh, and, and, and so it was the highfalutin uh, prison. It was not just a common prison. He was in a special prison, in special quarters. And, and you know, I really think Potiphar had an insight in, into the nature of his wife and may have even known a bit about what was going on, but because uh, being a weak man and wanting to put up with his wife's craziness and her behavior and wanting to keep his family uh, together, he did not really kill Joseph. He just put Joseph out of sight and, and, and went on with his life. Amen? He was thrown in prison. And he stayed there for many, many years. Are you all still with me? <laughs> Did a favor for a fellow prisoner of his, the butler. And, and, and when the butler said, man, thank you. When I get out, I'm going to get you out. I'm not going to forget about you. Joseph, when I get out of jail, you're going to be right behind me. But when the butler got out of prison, Joseph heard nothing from the butler for two full years. Now, this is the kind of stuff that nervous breakdowns are made out of. This is the kind of stuff that makes people think about committing suicide. And they do so under even less severe circumstances than Joseph uh, faced. Uh, but listen, Joseph in the midst uh, of this all did not become dysfunctional. Dysfunctional families usually produce dysfunctional people. But I just want to say to somebody here, even if you have been raised in a dysfunctional family, Joseph lets you know you don't have to become dysfunctional. You don't have to become weak, emotionally weak, mentally. You can still survive. You can still make it. Joseph did not resort to some kind of uh, emotional fetal position. He did not resign from life. How did he survive? How did Joseph make it? How did Joseph endure? But number one, Joseph endured because he established a close relationship with God. And I've just come by to tell you today, if you want to make it in life, you need a close relationship with the Lord. The Bible says that Joseph found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that means he was looking for grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was reaching out for God while others were reaching out to the things of the world. Joseph from his youth said, God, I want you in my life. I want you on my side. I want to find favor in your eyes. I want to please you. I want to do your will. And he found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. Another reason Joseph was able to survive was not only because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and may I pause there to tell everybody here that, listen, your relationship with God is the most important relationship in your life. It's in God that you live. It's in God that you move. And it is in God that you have your being, no living, no moving, no being without God. Find grace in the eyes of God. But another reason that Joseph was able to survive was that he kept on seeing the vision. Oh, look at your name and say, keep on seeing the vision. Joseph had two fantastic visions in his early life. In one vision, he and his brothers were binding sheaves. And the, the, the bundle of sheaves that Joseph had bound, 
um, was one. And then his 11 brothers had also bound uh, a bundle of sheaves and their bundle bowed down to his. Amen. They bowed down to Joseph's bundle of the stalks of wheat that he had bound. And then in his other vision, the sun, moon, and the 11 stars did obeisance to him. Meaning that one day his brothers, all of his brothers, his father and his mother would also bow down uh, in reverence to him. And Joseph found his sense of destiny, his sense of meaning, his sense of purpose uh, in those visions. No matter what he was hearing, no matter what his brothers were saying, no matter how low down they were telling him he was, the vision was what formed his psyche and his mentality. That was, Joseph, that was what Joseph saw when he was stripped of his clothing. He kept on seeing the vision. When he was thrown in the pit, he said, listen, I'm in the pit, but I'm not going to stay in the pit because my vision did not show me in the pit. My vision saw me ruling. My vision showed me in charge. I'm coming out of this pit. When he was in slavery, he said, I'm not going to stay in this slavery. My vision did not show me in slavery. My vision showed me ruling. When he was in jail, he said, I'm coming out of this jail because my vision did not have me in jail. My vision had me on a throne. I was ruling. And my brother's shoes were bowing down to mine. mine. He kept on seeing it until he saw it. He kept on reaching for it until he got it. Why don't you look over at your neighbor and say, keep on seeing it until you see it. Keep on reaching for it until you grasp it. Hallelujah. 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 We cannot see through uh, the, we cannot see through the future. We cannot see through dark clouds. We cannot see through tomorrow, but we can walk on by faith in God. Would you tell your neighbor, just walk on by faith. Walk on by faith. Listen, we receive our vision from the word of God. Listen, know your word, read your Bible because you find your destiny, you find your purpose, you find the plans that God has in mind for you in the word of God. I don't care what the world says, find out what the word of God says. This is my Bible, it is the word of God. I am what it says I am. I've got what it says I've got. I can do what it says I can do and it says I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Listen, don't tell me what I'm not able to do. I find out what I can do from the word of God. Don't tell me what I'm not. Don't tell them what I don't know. Don't tell me how, how valueless I might be. The word of God says I'm precious. I'm valuable. So much that Jesus died for my sins. When you look at two people and tell them I'm somebody, I'm somebody. Look on the other side and say, you're sitting by somebody. Hallelujah. 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 Joseph survived because he did not let people make him bitter. He let people make him better. So many bitter folk on the face of the earth. And by their bitterness, they disqualify themselves for any kind of bright future. By their bitterness, they make themselves repugnant and repulsive to everybody who is around them. By their bitterness, they incapacitate themselves for any kind of success. But don't let people make you bitter. Let people make you better. Hallelujah. The rougher it gets, the better you ought to be, the higher you ought to go, the more trouble you have, the sweeter you ought to become. Joseph let his mean brothers make him better. He looked at them and said, listen, I'm not going to be like those fellas are. I'm going to be different. I'm going to lift people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to help people. I'm not going to be like Potiphar's wife. I'm not going to deprive and reject and hurt and injure the lives of people. I'm not going to be like Potiphar. I'm going to let Potiphar make me better, not bitter. I'm not going to be like the butler. I'm not going to be like the baker that forgot about me. I'm going to let people make me better. I'm going to let every wind of opposition that comes my way take me higher, take me higher. I'm going to look in every situation for the opportunity to advance and to go forward. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Joseph survived. Because he worked on the dreams of other people. 
He worked to fulfill other folks' dreams. Listen, if your dream is the only dream you're concerned about, then your life is not going to be what your life ought to be. He worked on other folks' dreams. When he found himself a slave in Potiphar's house, he said, Potiphar, I'm not supposed to be a slave. Uh, I'm not supposed to be sold into bondage, but I am a slave and circumstances have put me where I am. I want to make the best of where I am. Uh, Whatever your vision is for your house, Potiphar, I want you to know I'm going to work for your vision. I'm going to work to bring your vision to pass. And Joseph started working for Potiphar. Even as a slave, he served and he worked and and he gave himself to the advancement of the dream that Potiphar had. And pretty soon Potiphar put Joseph in charge of the whole house. He was in charge of everything, had the key to the house, had rulership and control of the whole house. That's what caused him to be so attractive to Potiphar's wife. But I've talked about that already. But Joseph worked on Potiphar's dream. And then when he was sold, uh, when, after he was thrown in jail as a prisoner, he said uh, to the jailkeeper, I'm not supposed to be in jail. I'm here uh, because somebody lied on me. I did not do anything wrong, but I am in jail. And since I'm in jail, uh, Brother Jailer, what's your dream uh, for your jail? And whatever your dream is for your jail, I want you to know I'm going to work on your dream. I'm going to work on your vision for uh, this jail. And, and pretty soon Joseph was in charge of the whole prison. He was in charge while he was still a, a, a prisoner. He worked on the baker's dream. He worked on the butler's dream and said, fellas, I've got a dream of my own, but I, I, I want to work on your dream and find out what God has to say to you. And so he worked on the baker's dream and he worked on uh, the butler's dream. And then he worked on Pharaoh's dream. And when he worked, after he had worked on Potiphar's dream and the jailer's dream and the baker's dream and the butler's dream and Pharaoh dream then finally his dream came true and I've just come by to tell you today that your dream will not come true until you work to bring to pass somebody else's dream you got to work on somebody else's dream if you've got a dream hallelujah hallelujah and listen you've got to work on what God's vision and God's will is and God's plan is for his house if you want it to happen in your house first God's house and then your house God what is your will for this house what is your will for this church how can I lift my church how can I bless my church how can I advance the vision of my pastor and the program that God has given to him for the work of the Lord because Lord I know it won't happen in my house until I make it happen for your house Somebody ought to clap their hands and praise God for the house of God. God, give me some folk who are concerned about your house, who are concerned about your work, who don't just come to enjoy, to listen, and to leave, but come to bear under the load and to help the church go where the church wants to go. Say, God, I'll work for you because I know you're working for me. Clap your hands and give praise. Hallelujah. I'm almost through now. But Joseph survived because he refused to compromise morally. I said he refused to compromise. I said he refused to compromise morally. He persisted in righteousness. He had every reason to compromise. He had every reason to give in, but he did not give in. He did not compromise. He had an opportunity after opportunity to do wrong, to steal, to get morally involved in wrong, but he maintained his integrity and held on to his righteousness. He could have said, it looks like God has forgotten about me, put me in jail, put me in slavery. I'm going to do anything I want to do. I'm going to behave any kind of way I want to behave. But no, he said, yes, I'm in jail. Yes, uh, I've been a slave, but I'm still going to hold on to God because I I know what God is like and how God works and I'm going to love him and serve him faithfully even when I face adversity because I know God's going to bring me out all right child of God the Lord sent this message so I can tell you to hold on Well, you look at somebody and say hold on I know it seems rough I know that you're on the verge of giving up 
I know that you sometimes want to throw in the towel, but the Lord says, hold on to your righteousness. Hold on to God. If you've gotten away from God, get back to him. Put your hand in God's hand and ask God, Lord, help me to be what you'd have me to be. I can't get where you want me to go until I am what you want me to be. And God, I want to get there. I'm going to hold on. 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 Refuse to compromise morally. But then Joseph survived because he had patience and because he had endurance. Hallelujah. Some folk expect everything to happen right now. They want an overnight blessing. They want a microwave miracle. But God does not work like that. God does not work like that. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be right on time. For 13 solid years, Joseph went out of one trial and into another trial, one adversity after another, but he never gave up. He never surrendered to hopelessness. And I'm just telling you, child of God, I know there's a recession. I know you've got eviction notices. I know stuff might even be repossessed, but God is going to bring you out all right. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Hold on, child of God. The burden might be heavy, but keep on pressing. Keep on loving. Keep on living. God's going to bring you out all right. Tell your neighbor it's going to be all right. Tell one more neighbor it's going to be all right. Tell a third neighbor it's going to be all right. Now point to yourself and say it's going to be all right. You've got to have that confidence. I'm going to come out all right. That's what Job said. Job said I'm in the midst of all of this. But I'm going to come forth shining just like gold. I'm going to come out of this. I'm going to come out of this. Number one, finally Joseph survived because he loved people. Tell your neighbor you got to love people. You've got to love people. Joseph was too busy getting ahead to waste time getting even. I said he was too busy getting ahead to waste time getting evil or getting even. I know people hate you, but don't waste time with them. I know they're trying to drag you down, but don't waste time with them. I know they're trying to bless you off the face of the earth, but don't waste time hating them. You don't have any time to do anything but love people because love equips you for the blessing of God. Love equips you for the forgiveness of God. Love creates in you the kind of personality that the Lord can bless. He said, if you forgive men, then I'll forgive you. If you love men, then I will love you. And so Joseph did not waste time getting even with folk. He did not waste time resenting folk. He just helped folk and lifted folk and walked on toward his dream and walked on toward his vision and child of God that's what the Lord wants you to do lift folk encourage folk love folk don't even waste time talking about the mean things they do don't waste time talking about the hurt they impose you you don't have time for that just keep on walking toward your vision just keep on believing God that God is going to bring you out and bring you over and bring you up will you tell somebody God is going to bring you out God is going to bring you up God is going to bring you over take a praise break praise him praise him praise him hallelujah he loved people he loved people the butler that was in jail with him had a vision and he did not understand it and so he went to Joseph and said Joseph help me with my vision 
Joseph said, I've got a vision of my own and I'm in jail. But nevertheless, I'm not going to worry about where I am and what I am. I'm going to love you enough to help you with your vision. Joseph prayed and he sought God and God gave him the meaning of the vision. He said to the butler, after a while, you're going to be released. You're going to get out of jail. And when you get out, don't forget about me. The butler, after a while, got out of jail because Joseph had given him hope and had given him courage. But he forgot about Joseph. That did not stop Joseph from loving people and from lifting people. After a while, the butler working for the Pharaoh, when Pharaoh had a dream himself, and Pharaoh could not remember the dream, and he could not even understand it, but he told the butler about it. And the butler said, there's a man in jail that's filled with the Spirit of God, and he can tell you what your dream means. And Joseph was dressed up, picked up out of the prison, put in royal apparel, brought before the king, looking like he was the king himself, and said, king, this is what the vision was, and this is what the vision will be. In a little while, a famine is going to come upon the land for seven long years, and at the end of that, at the end of that period, I beg your pardon, for seven years, there are going to be years of plenty and years of flourishing and years of blessing. For seven years, stuff is going to grow. And then at the end of that seven years, there's going to be a famine and nothing is going to grow. And I would advise you that during the first seven years to save up as much as you can, get ready for the famine, get ready for the years of scarcity, during the years of plenty. And that's real good advice for us today. If you got anything, if you're making anything, don't spend it all. Save some because times will get rough one day and you need to have something that you can sustain yourself with. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. The Pharaoh said, your advice is good and I can't find a better man to put in charge than you. Joseph, I want you to be second man in the land of Egypt. I want you to take charge. I want you to save. Then I want you to dispense. I want you to take charge. You're going to be the vice president of the land of Egypt and you take over. Joseph went from the prison to the palace, from poverty to wealth, from rags to luxurious garments. There he sits on the chair of dispensation, on the throne of dispensing. People are coming to him to get help from him, coming to him to get advice from him. Joseph is in charge. Meanwhile, back in the land of Canaan, those same brothers that had sold him into slavery in the first place were having a conference with their father Jacob. Jacob says, listen, the famine is on. We've run out of food, but I heard that there's food in the land of Egypt. I want you to go to Egypt and see, can you get some food? Can you buy some food? And so those brothers went to Egypt. They came before a comely looking man who was in charge, but they did not know who he was. They'd forgotten all about the brother that they hated and the brother that they sold. But after a while, Joseph could not take it any longer. He said, fellas, you don't recognize me, but I recognize you. How is it that you always recognize the folk that tried to hurt you, the folk that tried to drag you down? He recognized them and he said, fellas, I'm Joseph whom you sold. I'm Joseph whom you hated. You hated me, but God loved me. You tried to drag me down, but God picked me up. Thank you for hating me. Thank you for throwing me in the pit. Thank you for selling me into slavery. 
Thank you, Potiphar, for buying me. Thank you, Potiphar's wife, for lying on me. Thank you, Brother Jailer, for keeping me in jail. Because if I had not been in jail, I would not have met the butler. And if I had not met the butler, I would not have met the Pharaoh. And if I had not met Pharaoh, I would not be in charge. God can so bless your life that you will thank the folk that hurt you. You'll thank the folk that hated you. You'll thank the folk that tried to drag you down. You'll thank the folk that tried to hold me back. Thank you. Thank you for every trial. If I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve him. Let your problems take you higher. Let your problems make you better. Come on and worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Tell three people I'm going higher. I'm going higher. Not going to lose it. Not going to throw in the towel. Not going to give up. I'm going higher. I'm going to make it by the power of God. If folk dump on you, step on it and go a little higher. If they hate you, step on it and go a little higher. If they try to destroy you, step on it and go a little bit higher. Higher. I wish somebody would praise him. I wish somebody would praise him. Shake it off. Step on it and go higher. Shake off the pain. Shake off the hurt. Shake off the hatred. Shake it off. Step on it and go higher. Tell your neighbor, neighbor. Shake it off. Step on it and go higher. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you can make it, you can take it, you can overcome. It's not over yet. God can bless you, lift you up out of your predicament. You can make it, you can take it, you can overdo, you can endure, you can overcome. It's not over until God says it's over. Tell somebody it's not over. I had some praisers way up in the balcony. The Lord is talking to you. Tell your neighbor it's not over until God says it's over. It's going to be all right. All right. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, you're not going to, you're not going to lose your mind. You're not going to lose your hope. You're not going to lose your enthusiasm. You're not going to be depressed. You're not going to be destroyed. You're going to put your hand in the hand of God and say, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I've learned how to be full. I've learned how to be hungry. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. I can make it in the name of Jesus. Help me praise it. Help me praise it. In your praise is your deliverance. In your praise is your hope. In your praise is your strength. In your praise is your rising higher by the power of the Lord. Help me praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
I just want you to know today that I've got to stop. Whatever the devil has done against you, whatever trap he's laid for you, whatever plot, whatever scheme he has in mind for you, whatever road he's tried to place you on for your destruction, it is broken in the name of Jesus. I said it's broken, it's broken. It's broken. Generational curses are broken. The doctor's word of death is broken. You're not going to fail. You're going to succeed. You're going to make it in the name of Jesus. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! You can make it. You can make it. This trial you're going through, God's gonna show you just what to do. You can make it. You can make it. I don't care what's going wrong. You're not in this thing alone. God won't let it last too long. You can make it. Clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. God had been hammering this message in my mind day after day after day. Because somebody was going to be here today who needed to hear it. And somebody was going to grab onto it by faith. Their lives were going to become something that they never could have become without this word from the Lord. You know who you are. And you know how God has ministered to your spirit and to your soul on this day. I just want to seal it with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I pray for those for whom this word was sent. I pray to Lord, not knowing what their circumstances may have been, their pains, their hurts, their disappointments, the traps, the destruction, the pain. But dear Lord, I know that you can lift them above it. If they know you, if they put their hands in your hand, you will bring them out of it in the name of Jesus. And so dear Lord, I thank you for this word. And even as you've sent the word, you'll fulfill it. You'll fulfill it. You'll bring it to pass. They may come back next week saying, God gave me a, a, a release. God gave me a mighty miracle, a mighty deliverance. It might take months. It might take just days. But dear God, I thank you for what you're going to do through this word. Somebody's going to lift up their heads. And they're going to walk in confidence and in faith. In the name of Jesus. And if this sermon was for you, clap your hands and praise God. Everybody standing, please. Everybody stand up, please. Everybody stand up all over the house, all over the house. Please stand. I want to pray for somebody who's not saved. If you don't know Jesus, you can't have all the tools that will enable you to come adversity, overcome adversity in this life, in the life to come. If you've not put your hand in God's hand, you're ill-equipped to deal with all of the distress that life will impose on you. But if you know God, God can bring you through every adversity. And you know him through Jesus Christ who died for your sins, who took the worst that life could offer. Jesus took the worst that life could offer, but he arose from the dead. And if he could deal with death, he can deal with every enemy that you face. Every enemy that confronts you. I want to pray for somebody who does not know Jesus. 
If you're not saved, if you say, preacher, I need God in my life. I need God's help. Preacher, I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. If that's you, if that's your prayer, if that's your desire, I'll pray for you right where you stand, right where you are. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. You and Jesus can become Lord of your life. If you would say, preacher, pray for me. I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. Lift your hand right now and lift it high so that I can see it. Lift that hand. Hold it high, please. Lift it. Lift it. Lift it. In the balcony, lift that hand, please. Hold it high. Lift it. Preacher, pray for me. I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want my sins forgiven. I want God on my side. While those hands are lifted, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you confess your sins, he'll come into your life this day and transform you and set you free. That's the promise of the word of the Lord. Dear Lord, I pray for these who lift their hands now. Forgive their sins. Transform their lives. Come into their hearts. Make them, dear Lord, everything that you only and alone can make them to become. Be God in their lives. Take them unto yourself and hold them to your breast. Everybody repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I've been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. And I give my life to him. And I thank you, Lord. I am forgiven. I thank you, Lord. I am saved. I thank you, Lord. I have new life. Come on and praise the Lord. 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 Hallelujah. Lift those hands again. Hold them high. Lift them again. Please lift them again.